You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, we're going through the book of Jonah, and last time we left off at verse 9. So let's take a look at verse 9 once again. Those who keep useless idols forsake their possibility of steadfast love. Verse 10. But as for me... With a voice of thanksgiving, I shall sacrifice to you that which I vowed allow me to fulfill. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. Now, with these two verses here, you see Jonah contrasting idolatry. Now, idolatry is worship without God's word. Idolatry is a man-made method of trying to approach God or trying to make God merciful. The problem is you cannot make God merciful. God is merciful. He gives to us his word, and he gives to us his promise of pardon and peace. And all of this, of course, is fulfilled in the sending forth of the only begotten Son, the eternally begotten Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Word of God. Without the Word of God, you have false worship, idolatry man-made methods of trying to approach the deity, the divine, trying to gain access by what you have said or what you have done. So a false image, an idol, is based upon the imagination of the sinful heart, without God's word, without the divine revelation. And here in Jonah, we see that contrast. In verse 9, Those who keep useless idols, on the one hand, and on the other hand, you have Jonah. As for me, I have a voice of thanksgiving, for salvation belongs to Yahweh. Now, with this passage in mind, we, we of course, can think about Psalm 115 that has that same kind of a contrast between trusting in Yahweh based upon his word and his promises contrasted with idolatry, worship without the word of God. For an idol is, it's a man-made imaginary thing. It's how man tries to make God in his own image. But the image of man is marred. It is corrupted. It is corrupted with sin. And so a a false idol, a false image, might have a mouth, but it cannot speak. It might have eyes, but it cannot see. It might have hands, but it cannot act. And it might have ears, but it cannot hear. The true God, the living God, Yahweh, the one who has made the heavens and the earth, created all things out of nothing. He hears the call, the cry of Jonah. When Jonah calls out, God answers him. So in Psalm 115 at verse 3, we say confidently, confessing, 
our God is in the heavens. He does all that he desires. Now, this is very similar to what was taking place in chapter 1 of the book of Jonah. Let's turn the page and go back a chapter. If you recall back in chapter 1 at verse 9 also, Jonah confessed and he said, I am a Hebrew and I fear Yahweh, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. Remember, this verse in Psalm 115, verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he desires. Well, back in chapter 1, when the mariners were converted to faith, when the Holy Spirit worked in their hearts so they could see the true God and not the imagination of their corrupted hearts, then they could cry out to God, calling out to him in prayer. And so in verse 14 in chapter 1, they called out to Yahweh and they said, Please, Yahweh, let us not perish on account of the soul of this man, and let not the innocent blood be held against us, for you, Yahweh, do as you desire. Very similar to what we have in Psalm 115, again at verse 3. Our God is in the heavens, he does all that he desires. So going back to Jonah chapter 2, you have that contrast. On the one hand, those who keep useless idols. The keepers of useless idols are those who will not let go. They hold on to them. They cling to them to their own detriment, to their own destruction. And so Jonah says those who keep these useless idols, it's useless, worthless. It's not going to help. It is part of fallen creation. So they are grabbing a hold of, holding on to, keeping creation instead of the creator. And so those who therefore keep or hold or cling to these things, they forsake their possibility of steadfast love. Now this is that, that Hebrew word, a chesed, the word that means all the understanding of who God is. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is loyal in his love. He's steadfast in that love. But that love, of course, is not abstract. It is the love that's connected to his revealed word, the word that is heard through the mouth of the prophets that he sent, and all of them proclaiming with unity of voice, unison of voice, the promise of the seed that would crush the serpent's head. That's the way that we can find favor with God. You listen to God's word, you have his favor and forgiveness. You have his loyal love, his steadfast love, his grace, his mercy, who he is, all based upon his word, fulfilled in his promise. So it's not the idea of steadfast love. It's not the concept of steadfast love. They are forsaking the one who gives steadfast love, and he makes a promise. He ties this to his word, connects it to his promise. That promise guarantees us for the sake of the Son, the only begotten one who is sent from the Father, we can be assured that we have peace with God, the Creator in creation being reconciled in the one who comes into his creation to take upon flesh and blood. So if you don't have that, all you have is just creation that's corrupted, that's fallen that's in animosity, 
for we're part of this fallen creation. In fact, when we are conceived, when we are born, we are enemies of God. We are in enmity with God. And so if you hold on to these useless idols, these silly, worthless images, false images, worship without God's word, well, then you're going to forsake the true word, the true God, and the true steadfast love. So that's on the one hand. Those who hold on to these things of this earth, that's all they have. They have the creation that's corrupted and falling apart ever since the fall into sin. But as for me, Jonah declares, with a voice of thanksgiving, I shall sacrifice to you that which I vowed allow me to fulfill. The Jonah's crying out that he is in the sea. He's in the belly of the great fish, the means of grace that God himself has appointed. And so now he wants to make that sacrifice. He wants to fulfill his vow. Well, again, that's very similar to the mariners in chapter 1. We ended on that note in chapter 1 where the men feared Yahweh with a great fear. And they sacrificed a sacrifice to Yahweh and they vowed vows. Well, Jonah, who is in the belly of the great fish, in the depths of the sea, he wants to be able to once again sacrifice and a vow because he is one who trusts in the promises of God, the place where steadfast love can be found and given. And so then he goes on and he makes that statement at the end. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. Now, whenever we see the word salvation or the action verb of saving or savior, we're always taught to look to Jesus. Jesus is the one who saves us from our sins. So throughout the Old Testament, when you have the pictures, the portraits of one who brings salvation, Yahweh's salvation, the Savior who saves us, the one who comes to do things that we cannot do, to rescue us, to redeem us, to deliver us. This all points us to Christ, who is the Savior, the one who fulfills this steadfast love, this chesed. He's the one who is incarnate chesed. That's the one, and salvation belongs to him. No other. There is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved, except Jesus. Jesus is the name given to the one who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, who was innocent, had no sin of his own. But the one who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He was crucified for our sins, and he was raised for our justification. This salvation belongs to Yahweh. And so this is the one that we proclaim, and this is the one we rejoice in. So after Jonah ends on that confession of faith, that salvation belongs to Yahweh, Jonah stops speaking. Now, if you notice in chapter 2, this is all about Jonah speaking. Jonah is praying. He's petitioning Yahweh, the one who hears when he calls. But then we have the end. His prayer has ended with the amen. Yes, yes, it is so. And now Jonah is silent. And now 
Yahweh speaks. So the chapter ends on this note. Then Yahweh spoke. Now, if you look at this chapter itself, we notice that it begins by opening with Yahweh acting. So first you have Yahweh acting, and he acts in this way. So at verse 1, going back to chapter 2 in the Hebrew, then Yahweh provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. So Yahweh acted, then Jonah prayed. Jonah concludes his prayer with the amen. Yes, yes, it is so, trusting that Yahweh is the one who hears when he calls. Now Yahweh speaks. Then Yahweh spoke. But notice that he does not speak to Jonah. Instead, then Yahweh spoke to the fish. So Yahweh appointed the fish, and then Yahweh spoke to the fish. So think of this as kind of like a picture frame. It is a picture frame where we begin, like with bookends on one side. You have Yahweh appointing the great fish, and then you have in the middle, in between, Jonah's prayer, where Jonah is speaking. And then you close out with Yahweh speaking, but to the fish. So he appoints the fish, and now he speaks to the fish. So then Yahweh spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So now we have the action of the fish after the command of Yahweh to do exactly what the fish does vomiting out Jonah back upon the dry land. Now, once again, remember this emphasis of the dry land. This is the emphasis of a confession of faith, that Yahweh is the one who gives his people a way in the sea. He's the one who provides a dry land to walk upon, just like in the Exodus, when the Israelites were brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. As the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 43 of his scroll, Yahweh is the one who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. And so this is Jonah confessing Yahweh, the true God, the one who has made the sea and the dry land. So whenever we talk about the dry land, we're talking about the one who delivers. That's the confession of faith that we have from the Exodus, that Yahweh is the God who delivers out of the hand of Egypt, that Yahweh is the one who delivers out of slavery, and more precisely, slavery to sin, by giving us the forgiveness of sins, life and salvation, pardon and peace. It all points to his work in the Redeemer, the Savior, the one who saves us from our sins, Jesus, Yahweh's salvation. So back in Jonah chapter 1, when he confesses, I am a Hebrew and I fear Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Now Jonah, who was in the sea, literally, is now vomited out by the great fish appointed by Yahweh onto the dry land, the God who makes a way in the sea. 
So now we close out chapter two and we begin to look at chapter three. And immediately when you look at chapter three, you'll notice that it's very similar to chapter one. In fact, it's like a redo. It's a restart. It's a do-over. Yahweh is the God of new beginnings. So it's in chapter 3 where now Yahweh speaks again to Jonah. Remember in chapter 2, Yahweh speaks to the fish. But now he's going to speak to his prophet. So in chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of Yahweh was orientated toward Jonah a second time, saying. Now, again, we want to pause here and we want to emphasize the presence of Yahweh, the appearance of Yahweh. When Yahweh comes to his people, the spokesman of the Holy Trinity is the word, the second person of the Holy Trinity, so that the Father sends the Son. The Son is the Word, the spokesman, the one who is sent, and now he speaks. So again, this is not just the idea that Jonah is standing around and he hears a voice. Instead, this is the second person of the Holy Trinity who is there with Jonah, the one who is sent, the one who comes to speak and to send Jonah. So he is orientated toward Jonah, and he's the one who's speaking. Now, the second time. And so in verse 2, he says, Arise and travel to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to her the proclamation that I myself am speaking to you. Now again, let's just pause here for a minute and understand that a prophet is sent to speak the word of God, not his opinion, not his ideas, but he's the mouthpiece. So he is given the word to speak. He's given the proclamation to proclaim or the sermon to sermonize. So he's going to give the word that's been given to him. But now we want to look here again and see how this is a, a redo, a restart. And let's compare it to chapter 1. Now, notice in chapter 1 what Yahweh had originally initially said when he said, Arise and travel to Nineveh. And again, this is what I like instead of just walking or going. I, I want traveling. Now, of course, if you're going to travel, you could walk or go by ship. Ah, see, Jonah was going by ship or go by chariot or whatever it may be, but you're traveling. That's the importance. So Yahweh wants him to travel to Nineveh, the great city. So arise and travel to Nineveh, the great city. Now, in chapter 1, he said, Then call out against it, because their evil has ascended to my face. So in chapter 1, he's going to call out against the city. He's preaching against the city. In chapter 2, there's a little bit of a variant here. Things have kind of shifted. And so instead of preaching against the city, you're going to proclaim the proclamation. What's the proclamation? Well, it's not against the city. So this is something that's very key because in the chapter here, in chapter 3, with a new start, a restart, a new beginning, the prophet is now sent with a proclamation to proclaim. Not to speak out or to preach against because of evil. So this is something key here. So when Jonah goes, he knows that he's a prophet. 
And he knows that Yahweh is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's that steadfast love that the idolaters forsake. He abounds in steadfast love. Yahweh is steadfast love, so he does steadfast love. And he changes his verdict. The verdict of destruction to a verdict of salvation. Because salvation belongs to Yahweh. So there's a little bit of a nuance here. We're, we're kind of changing, we're shifting gears as now Jonah is sent out a second time with a, procl a proclamation to proclaim. Now again, comparing and contrasting these two different chapters, chapter 1 and chapter 3, where Yahweh says, Arise and travel to Nineveh. Well, in chapter 1, remember the response of Jonah was, But Jonah rose to flee toward Tarshish. He was trying to get away from the face of Yahweh. But now in chapter 3, with the new start, with the new beginning, with the proclamation to proclaim, Jonah arose. So this is a, a different response. So it's not, but Jonah fleed. Instead, we have, so Jonah arose and he traveled to Nineveh according to the word of Yahweh. It is almost as if in chapter 1, before he got the message, or the, the sermon to sermonize, the, the proclamation to proclaim, he hightailed it out of there. He got out of there before he could even hear what the sermon was. What's the text? Well, now this time, Jonah, he does exactly what Yahweh says. Arise and travel to Nineveh. So, Jonah arose and he traveled to Nineveh. It is according to the word of Yahweh. Now, remember, when we're looking at Jonah, we're talking about the whole life of a Christian, one who trusts in the promises of God, all fulfilled in Jesus, the promised Christ, the Messiah who is to come, the one who is incarnate steadfast love. Now, as a Christian, those who trust in this promise, we are simultaneously sinners and saints at the same time. Now, again, when we say saints, we mean those who are justified by faith. And so sometimes we walk according to God's word as a saint, as one who's justified. And we begin to do the things that God is working in our hearts. New thoughts, new words, new actions. So we start acting like saints, those who are righteous. Righteous in God's sight. And that begins to be made manifest. That's when we walk according to his word. When we walk according to the spirit. But on the contrary, when we walk according to the flesh, when we let the old sinful nature in us take control, we then walk contrary to God's word. So again, as a Christian, as one who trusts in Christ, who knows the promises of Yahweh in the Old Testament fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus in the New Testament. For salvation belongs to Yahweh. And so, sometimes we walk according to God's word. Sometimes we walk contrary to God's word. And so now, here we see Jonah as one who is justified and by faith, he begins to walk 
in newness of life. He begins to travel, traveling with God's word, listening to the voice of God, rejoicing in that voice. And so Jonah went. Now, let's go back to chapter 3 and pick up at the second half of that verse. Now, Nineveh was a great city to God, a walk of three days. Then, in verse 4, Jonah began to enter the city, a walk of one day, and he proclaimed and he said. Now, here's where we get the proclamation that he is to proclaim. And so here it goes. Forty days until Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And so this is the message. This is the message. You could see this as the title of the sermon. You could see this as the synopsis of the sermon. This is the proclamation that he is to proclaim. Nineveh is going to be overthrown in 40 days. This is going to be quick. Now we pick up at verse 5. After you have the proclamation proclaimed, 40 days until Nineveh is going to be overthrown, and in verse 5, so the men of Nineveh believed in God. Then they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now here we see the work of the Holy Spirit converting the hearts of those who had not heard the word before. But the sermon was sermonized. The proclamation was proclaimed. The word was given through which the Holy Spirit is given to work in the hearts. The hearts of those who hear, entering through the ear. And we see the results. They believed in God. And we see then that belief being made manifest in a new action, calling for a fast, putting on sackcloth, so that now you can see the faith that they have inside being made manifest on the outside, the internal faith being external in their actions. And then furthermore, at verse 6, we continue to see something dramatically changing in Nineveh. And the word had reached the king of Nineveh. So he arose from his throne, and he took his royal robe from upon him, and he dressed in sackcloth, and he sat down on ashes. Now again, notice that what's taking place here is the people hear the word. The proclamation has been proclaimed. The sermon has been sermonized, and the Holy Spirit is at work, bringing faith. Even the king of Nineveh himself. And notice this contrast, too, that you have the king of Nineveh. He is sitting on a throne, and he arose. He rose up when he heard the word. Remember, that was the, the message that God gave to Jonah. Arise and travel to Nineveh. Well, now the king here, arise, and he gets up from his throne, taking off his royal robe. Again, something external that can be seen that's showing forth the internal change of the heart. Taking off his royal robe. Because now you have the true king, the king of kings, God himself reigning by his word. 
the word that reigns in the heart. And then after visibly changing his robes so that you don't see the royal robes on him as king, Yahweh is king, Yahweh is king of kings. Then in verse 7, he issued an edict and he said in Nineveh, from the decree of the king and his great one saying, man and beast, the herd and the flock, they must not taste anything. They must not feed and water they must not drink. Now again, we see the work of the Holy Spirit who gives new impulses, new words to speak, new actions to do. Now you have the king of Nineveh speaking a new word, an edict, a royal decree. But not only that, notice it's the animals also. Remember the great fish appointed by Yahweh? Yahweh spoke to the fish. And now you have the herd and the flock also knowing the Creator and joining in a fast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer Jesus Christ continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.